0: For more than 20 years, Charles Cologne lived relatively peacefully in the suburban neighborhood of Azalea Park in Orlando. The neighborhood mostly has single-family homes, but a business strip runs right through the middle of it. And that was never a problem until 2015, when Cologne says new owners bought the roller skating rink that had been there on that business trip for decades. The
1: old owners were respectful. You know, come 10 o'clock at night, they would turn the volume down. You know, they wouldn't They wouldn't disrespect the neighbors. When the new owners took over, they started playing music all hours. I'm talking to like five in the morning, uh, three in the morning, you know, on a regular basis. It would be bass that would travel so hard through the home. If you had something on a mantle or a dresser or something like that, it could shake and vibrate. Sometimes you would hear things rattle.
0: Colón says the noise drove the neighborhood absolutely insane. The neighbors pushed the city to intervene, but it became kind of a hot potato issue getting passed around from agency to agency. And Colón says this lasted for years. Years that left him frustrated that the city government wasn't doing enough to start regulating what he says was a nuisance business that made him lose countless hours of sleep.
1: I wish an ordinance would have been passed to where they would have to reduce the bass level that they use, you know, at at night. I feel like bass travels further than sound, but the way they are using the metering, they're looking for high pitch audible sounds. Well, you can't pick up bass at a high pitch because it's a low-frequency sound.
0: Things got so bad that at one point, Colon started to fantasize about following the owners of the skating rink home and blasting music outside their windows when they tried to sleep. Dreams of getting some kind of sweet, sweet revenge, whatever that would look like.
1: I was, I was in a, a bad place in my mind. Like you know, I uh, felt a hate, a strong hate towards uh, the people who were working there. It was just one of those where I knew. I had to separate myself before things escalated.
0: So about a year ago, Cologne finally moved about a mile away from where he was just to get away from the noise. Local governments routinely try to keep tabs on these so-called nuisance businesses. It's why bars and liquor stores are only allowed in certain parts of town and not just anywhere. And sometimes these cities and counties go back and change the rules to regulate businesses once those businesses are already open and operating. Like, the city of Miami Beach is looking right now to roll back alcohol sales from 5 a.m. to 2 a.m. in the main tourist area, since city leaders claim those bars in that area have become a nuisance to neighbors and that they're driving up the crime rate for the entire city. The bars obviously want to keep their 5 a.m. last call, and say that this is gonna hurt their bottom line. The way the system works now, the city can generally change the rules if they want to. And that kind of flexibility is the beauty of locally controlled government for people like Charles Colón, who spent years dealing with the skating rink, he says had the bass cranked up too loud. Even though in his case in Orlando, the new rules never went into effect, at least he could dream of the city being able to do something.
1: An ordinance should be required if a a business is making X amount of sound, they should have X amount of insulation to help keep that sound in or bass in instead of uh, protecting the business. You can't control your neighbors and sometimes your neighbor is a business and you don't know what they're going to do that's going to impact your quality of life.
0: two bills filed in the Florida legislature would do the exact opposite of what Cologne hoped would happen in his Orlando neighborhood. This confounds him, because the lawmakers pushing these bills are Republicans.
1: I'm a registered Republican, and I find it odd that a lot of the bills going through right now and being pushed by the GOP are stripping the rights away from Floridians.
0: These two bills were the brainchild of Republican State Senator Travis Hudson, who represents St. John's and Flagler counties and part of Volusia County.
2: Senator Hudson, you are recognized to explain the bill.
3: Thank you, Madam Chair. Senate Bill 280 is an effort to, to try and resolve statewide preemption bills by doing the following. This bill
0: requires one of the bills would let any private business block new local regulations if the business files a lawsuit claiming the new rules will hurt their bottom line. That means new local laws could be automatically blocked, without a judge even having to issue a ruling. And those local laws would remain blocked until an appeals court maybe agrees to let them take effect a process that could drag on for years. We need to make sure the businesses know how hard or how much they're getting
3: affected. And also, if a business is affected, that they be made whole.
0: And let's say that local law is allowed to go into effect, the one that rolls back alcohol sales from 5 a.m. to 2 a.m.. Under the second bill, the local government could end up having to pay all the affected bars in the city for losses associated with those new rules. That's if rolling back alcohol sales a few hours has at least a 15% impact on profits. Under the bill, a local government would have to pay those businesses for seven years of lost profits. And when a city has to pay, that comes from you, the taxpayer.
3: We've come up here year after year after year preempting local governments from various ordinances.
0: Senator Hudson is basically saying he's tired of the state legislature having to take on these local governments trying to regulate things like plastic bags or sunscreen. With his proposals, the legislature could forget all that. It'd be up to the businesses now.
3: You could you could read the, the newspapers from the years and you remember the bills that you've done. So when when we talk about How do you how do you stop the preemption bills? How do you stop one rogue local government from doing something and us having to come back up? And we are right now the last
0: line of defense. Just to clarify here, Florida's towns and cities are not rogue when they pass these rules. They're not breaking any state laws. What's happening is that the state makes what they're trying to do illegal after the fact. We asked the office of Senator Hudson for an interview, but they did not get back to us. Under Senator Hudson's proposals, any private business would effectively have veto power on new local regulations, the second they file a lawsuit. But Hudson says those lawsuits will also be fast-tracked.
3: The idea was to put a stay on it and expedite that court process so it could be resolved at the local level and through the court systems and us not coming up here and doing that.
2: Next is David Cullen, Sierra Club of Florida, speaking against.
4: It is decidedly pro-business. We believe that it
0: is pro-business to the point where it will be a detriment to communities. Dave Cullen spoke at a committee hearing in the Florida Senate, and he's worried that this bill could invalidate any environmental regulations going forward. It treats business differently than all other groups
4: or classes of potential parties. Neither labor nor consumers get to
0: suspend a duly-adopted ordinance by filing a complaint and requesting it. At another Florida Senate hearing, Rich Templin of the AFL-CIO argued against the stated logic of these bills, that they would stop the state from having to take over local decision-making one issue at a time.
1: There's another way to stop preemption bills. Don't file them. When capital lobbyists come to you, and try to get you to overturn what people are doing in their communities, say, no, we're going to leave this up to the people in their communities. Nobody elected by anybody
0: is going to be able to file suit, put a halt to an ordinance, and that's essentially a preemption by individuals. Almost every speaker in the different committee hearings in Tallahassee spoke against these two bills, including people representing counties and cities from rural North Florida, to Broward County in South Florida. There was widespread consensus that the bills are too pro-business and that they create serious roadblocks to democracy at the local level. Tina Polsky is a Democratic state senator representing parts of Broward County and Palm Beach County. And she says businesses are already consulted and taken into account when new local rules are made.
5: A business can speak at a committee, a hearing, about the impact that it would have on him or her. A business person can run for local office. They could have a very business friendly local government. It's just not what I believe the people want. The people like their local governments and they want them to be able to rule. That's why they vote for those individuals. That's why they go to public comment. And that's why a decision is made by a majority rule of the people who you elected.
2: I probably should keep my mouth shut today, but
0: I, I can't sit here and listen to all this anti-... I'm a businessman for 50 years. Dennis Baxley is an undertaker, and he's also a Republican state senator who represents the Ocala area.
2: Business people are part of your community. They're the ones that you go to ask to help fund things that you need done in your community. They're the people that provide jobs to your residents. There, This is a relationship that you've got people telling you what to do when you they have no investment in your property they have no investment and yet they're telling you everything you can and can't do now I'm all for local control being a part of this formula and we do we have to struggle with these barriers between state and local governments and between the state and the federal governments we all have different parts in this discussion will go on and This is the appropriate place to have that discussion. But if you listen to most of the debate comments today from the audience, businesses are evil. This debate that we're somehow the enemy because we're giving them adequate voice to respond to the heavy hand of government that can ruin them, break them, destroy them with no recourses. Uh, I'm sorry, but the business people are not your enemy. They are the backbone of your community, and I'm gonna vote for this bill.
0: That take from Senator Baxley is broadly represented in the views of business in Florida. They wanna be able to block local regulations they don't like, and potentially get paid back with taxpayer money if new regulations hit their bottom line. But in a broader sense, these two bills present a major opportunity to flatten regulations across the entire state. Because big businesses don't like every city and every county having different rules and different regulations.
6: This would be huge. Huge. This would, I mean, this would seriously be a game changer.
0: Samantha Paget is a vice president and general counsel of the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association. And she says the coronavirus pandemic helped show why it's bad for each city to have so many different policies. What I did so much of the time during the pandemic was answer questions of what can I do here versus what can I do over here? And while the areas approached it differently, the impact that we felt with the state as a whole was it was it it impacted the state as a whole. And so. If we can be having similar conversations about impact, if we can have similar
4: conversations about uh, unintended consequences, about economic impact, then we have potentially overall a more consistent approach to
2: some
0: of these issues. If they are able to have more consistent operations, if they are able to send more consistent messaging to their workforce, They're more efficient. They are able to serve their customers better. They're not spending all their time kind of differentiating their operations from this jurisdiction or this jurisdiction. Carolyn Johnson puts it a little more bluntly, that these bills would straight up prevent businesses from being regulated by local governments. And in her mind, that's a good thing. She's a senior policy director at the Florida Chamber of Commerce.
6: I think it provides certainty for businesses that Their local government isn't going to swoop in and put them out of business or substantially increase their costs or substantially regulate how they're doing. And so it gives them the certainty they need to run their business.
0: Local governments, of course, don't see their rules and regulations as just frivolous distractions that are meant to be annoying to businesses. A lot of cities and counties look at this plan as a broad attack on the entire idea of local government. The idea that people at the neighborhood and block level can and should make decisions about the place where they live. Daniela levine is mayor of Miami-Dade County.
4: We live in a country of representative democracy. Policy is made by people that are elected that fit with the majority of the public's perspective as to who will do a better job. And, and this essentially says, you know, it's, it's like every person for him or herself on implementation and interpretation of laws. I think democracy is in peril in our state and in our nation and uh, from a lot of different angles. As far as preemption is concerned, it really does undermine and diminish democracy in our communities
6: where it's closest to the people.
1: This is the equivalent of giving the federal government total control over all states. In this example, the state government is the Fed, and the local government is the state.
0: Charles Colón, who we met earlier with the issue about the noisy skating rink in Orlando, says these bills are setting the state of Florida up to be an authoritarian, centralized government. And from there, it's a slippery slope to having an authoritarian, centralized national government.
1: If they can argue that the state government has power over the municipal governments, we can just say, hey, why not the federal government over the states? I mean, there's already been a case made for it.
0: Cologne believes the federalist system of government that we have in this country is a good one. Where cities, counties, and states set their own rules. Where people are taken seriously when they have issues in their neighborhoods. And hopefully, local decisions are made about those things, even if it upsets some businesses because it's a government by the people for the people, not by the people for the businesses. And he says especially Republican lawmakers in Tallahassee are forgetting that.
1: They're giving favor to businesses, yet they're ignoring the people who vote for them. As a Republican, I am extremely frustrated with it. And I come from, my my family was very conservative, so, Growing up in a conservative household, you know, the the mindset, it's it's almost like a belief system. When you come to find out that your belief system is the same belief system betraying you, it's it's upsetting. This is one of those bills where 10 years down the road, you look at the state of our state and we are not going to be in the great position that we
0: are now. In Florida, decisions about infectious disease and all kinds of issues related to public health come down from the state capitol. Tallahassee calls the shots on things like masking, vaccines and quarantine. For decades, though, individual counties actually had a lot of say.
4: The ability of county health departments to work in the best interests of their community has been truncated and has been eliminated.
7: There was this inconsistent, and I believe, in my mind, totally inappropriate and ineffective way to provide health care to all of the citizens of the state of Florida.
0: Every year, lawmakers in Florida meet in Tallahassee to propose and pass new laws, present a budget, and represent their communities in the state capitol. And in recent years, that agenda has included a targeted focus, keeping towns and cities from making too many of their own rules, rules that could end up influencing policy around the state. This is Tallahassee Takeover from WLRN News. I'm Danny Rivero. Compared to a lot of states across the U.S., the state of Florida has a largely centralized public health system. Instead of local officials making decisions about public health policy and spending, Almost every aspect of all of those decisions happens in Tallahassee. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, that top-down approach has gotten political, with Florida's Surgeon General and Governor making decisions that many doctors and local leaders say run contrary to science. So this seems like a good time to talk about how public health decisions get made in Florida, and also why local leaders get overruled. I'm joined now by my colleague, Veronica Saragovia, who covers healthcare for WLRN. Veronica, welcome to Tallahassee Takeover.
6: Thank you, Danny. Hi.
0: So, just to start with, we're going to be talking about public health. And public health is different from healthcare. Things like your access to a primary care physician and specialists, whether you have health insurance, things like that. Public health is different.
6: Exactly. Public health is how we protect communities from something like an infectious disease or promoting general health. Think of encouraging physical activity, monitoring for air pollution, and doing restaurant inspections for sanitation. Public health is when you track data to figure out how to stop an infectious disease from spreading. And it's also things like mounting vaccination campaigns against polio or hepatitis, for example. And of course, it's 2022, and public health also includes all things
0: COVID-19. And we'll definitely be getting into COVID-19 in a few. But I just want to point out that in Florida, public health also includes things like controlling mosquitoes to prevent the spread of diseases like dengue, chikungunya, and Zika, if you remember that from a few years ago. And mosquitoes actually played a huge role in the early history of our state and in shaping what public health looks like here. So. When Florida first became a state in 1845, a lot of decisions about public health were left up to counties and towns. There weren't a ton of people in Florida at the time, and for the most part, the modern state that we think of as Florida only existed in the northern and central parts of the peninsula. But, Veronica, tell us when this local-based reality for public health really started to shift here.
6: In 1888, Danny, the city of Jacksonville, had a major yellow fever epidemic that created this panic across the state. Yellow fever is transmitted through mosquitoes, but nobody knew that at the time. And so all these cities started coming up with their own plans for how to fight yellow fever. And they were not coordinated. You couldn't travel from one city to the next. And since everyone had different rules during the epidemic, it became an issue actually not only for health, but for the
0: state economy. And I actually pulled up some old newspaper articles that showed some towns in Florida had so-called shotgun quarantine policies, where if you tried to come into town, the townspeople would stand on the perimeter with shotguns and threaten to shoot you dead. In Jacksonville alone, a total of 427 people died from that yellow fever epidemic. And that's according to the Florida Historical Society.
6: 1888 was also an election year, and Democrat Francis Fleming ran for governor. He was a former Confederate soldier from Jacksonville. Actually, he's pretty universally known to have been a huge racist. And when he came to office in 1889, he called for a special session of the Florida legislature to create a statewide health agency. And his reasoning at the time was that since every county had different rules, It made things impossible during times of an epidemic.
0: And Governor Fleming complained that during his campaign, there were parts of the state where he could not campaign because he would have been shot on sight if he went to some of these cities. So the Florida legislature created the State Board of Health under his direction. And for the first time, Florida had a statewide public health system where everything flowed from the state capitol down to the different counties. This system lasted for 80 years. But then in 1968, officials in Florida rewrote the state constitution. And this new version abolished the State Board of Health. So, from one year to the next, public health in Florida went from being highly centralized to highly decentralized. And along with this was the creation of local health departments. Every county had their own local health department. And these New health departments played a huge role in people's lives.
5: I was born and raised 90 miles from here in Glaze County, which is considered a rural county and still is a rural county. So I grew up in a very small town in a class of 13.
6: Annie Niesman would grow up to lead the biggest county health department in Florida. She was the director of the Dade County Health Department from 1990 to 2000. And today, she is the CEO of the Jesse Trice
5: Community Health System in Miami. There were 13 individuals in my classroom. And I knew public the public health department back during my time as a child and as a teenager. That's where we received our health care. That's where we went to get our shots. At that time, we did have one uh, doctor in the entire county, uh, but most of the care that we received was from the Public Health Department.
6: Niesman remembers what it was like when public health was a local thing, like in the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew 30 years ago. That hurricane completely devastated some parts of South Dade.
5: We knew from the Miami-Dade Public Health Department that we were in this for the long run. We set up tent cities. We set up medical units, medical tents. We set up what we call a chat teams, community health action teams that went door to door, uh, assisting individuals with whatever their needs may have been. You know, of course, the many agencies that came in, uh, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, all of those individuals or organizations that serve meals, serve hot meals, uh, provided shelter, uh, provided clothing, provided things for children to do. Provided things for pets and animals, making sure that there were restrooms available for individuals and showers available. When the medical teams came in, we set up tent cities even for them that rotated in and out, just making sure that individuals were not only safe from the storm, but those individuals who came in to, to help uh, were also provided with medical assistance if they were needed.
6: Niesman remembers that the U.S. Army helped out for a few months.
5: And then we were on our own for at least a year, providing services uh, for the individuals, the residents, and the visitors to South Miami-Dade County.
6: For the most part, the money for the Dade County Health Department and other public health agencies came from local taxpayers, even though the state did toss some money their way county government set up their own public health boards where they made rules and enforced things like restaurant inspections, mounted vaccination campaigns for diseases like smallpox, and they collected data about whooping
5: cough. We had a smallpox issue uh, in our Haitian community uh, during those early years. The public health department You know, had to do massive immunization for smallpox because a segment of our population had not been vaccinated. That was, you know, that was a tremendous experience. Through those years, you know, the Miami-Dade County officials, I believe, recognized the importance of public health because we certainly helped them with swimming. We helped them with all of the environmental issues. We did coordinate and always uh, coordinated with the state in making sure that our response was one that was appropriate. And if we needed any state or regional resources, then we were able to pull uh, from those resources.
0: Even though the county health departments were independent, they were still part of a statewide system. And this is going to sound wonky because it is, but the state was split up into 11 different districts.
5: I reported to that district administrator, and then that
0: district administrator would filter up to Tallahassee. At this time in the mid-1990s, Florida was controlled by Democrats, and Fred Lipman was a Democratic state representative from Broward County.
7: I've been involved in the political realm uh, probably Daniel before you were born, since 1968. I was appointed to the uh, the board of commissioners of the South Brown Hospital District, which is Memorial System, back in 1968. So I've been around.
6: And Lipman says this decentralized system of public health was really starting to fall apart in the mid-1990s because the money mostly came from local tax dollars. You had rich counties and you had poor counties.
7: And it was during that period of time that a lot of Rural hospitals were going out of business, closing them. Don't forget, we have a huge state. I mean, our state, if you go from the Keys to Pensacola, you're halfway to Chicago. People don't realize how large our state is. There was this inconsistent, and I believe, in my mind, totally inappropriate and ineffective way to provide health care to all of the citizens of the state of Florida. You know, there were people that were going 80, 90 miles to get certain elements of health care, which you and I would take for granted.
6: So Lipman starts to make noise about this And he says he had the ear of the Democratic governor at the time, Lawton Childs. And he says the governor was receptive and he wanted to pass a big reform.
7: You know, he understood it. And he came from from, uh, some original stock of, of Florida. And all of a sudden now, the small 30 to 60 to 90 bed hospitals disappeared. Rather than relying upon just each county being either tax-rich or tax-poor and using monies and saying, well, we have to repair the sewer system, so therefore we won't take care of health care, or we have to do uh, a road or a bridge and we're not going to do health care, that was unfair.
0: The idea that Lippmann has is to create an entirely new Florida Department of Health, which would put everything that these local health departments did under one office.
6: These are things like monitoring water and air quality, trying to get rid of lead paint in housing, providing affordable cancer screenings, and getting people vaccinated, of course.
0: And under this new conception, local county departments of health would now fall under the state. And instead of having oversight from county commissioners or the county health board, the oversight and the funding would come directly from Tallahassee and not from local taxes. And the intention was that because the money would be coming from statewide taxpayers and not just from local taxpayers, smaller, more rural counties could have access to better public health services. And I will mention there are still places today, like in the Florida Keys, where access to public health resources is still a real issue. But the intention at the time was to make it better. So
6: in 1996, the Florida legislature passes this huge new law that creates the Florida Department of Health, and in 1997, this goes into effect. Annie Niesman, who was the director of the Dade County Health Department, went through that transition, and she says it did make a big difference.
5: It was easier. I'll put it to you that way. It wasn't the levels of bureaucracy, I'll say that you had to go through.
0: Some people who worked in public health at the time of this transition had a different take. Dr. Jeffrey Goldhagen was a director of the Duval County Health Department, which covers Jacksonville.
4: There are 67 counties in the state. Those counties had semi-independent health departments. All were uh, related to the state. Um, All looked to the state for direction and funding at the state level. The, uh, the, there were public health professionals who had committed their lives and professional careers to, to public health. And we worked together as a team where the expertise at the state was provided to that of the county health departments. And the best interest of the county health departments was the focus of the state. That system has been dismantled
0: Flash forward and Goldhagen points to how the COVID-19 pandemic has played out as fuel for his criticism. That things were better back when local public health experts had more authority. So of
6: course, the COVID-19 pandemic comes along in March of 2020. And just like in the days of yellow fever in the late 1800s, public health once again becomes the state's central focus. Governor Ron DeSantis had only recently chosen Dr. Scott Rifkes as Florida's Surgeon General. They'd barely worked together, and one day at an April press briefing, Rifkes started sharing advice on how to stay safe from the coronavirus that causes COVID-19.
4: Certainly do not work when we are sick. And again, for the elderly, these individuals need to avoid going out in public
6: And it didn't match up with the message DeSantis wanted to send.
4: Uh, We are at a plateau situation, but cannot emphasize enough that we cannot let our guard down at this present time. Until we get a vaccine, which is a while off, this is going to be our new normal, and we need to adapt and protect ourselves. Thank you.
6: In the middle of the briefing, a staffer approaches Rifki's and leads him out of the room. Almost a year would pass before Florida residents or lawmakers would hear from Rivke's again.
0: And this really confuses and alarms some people, that in the middle of a global pandemic, it looks like the Surgeon General of Florida is being censored. When Rivke's does reappear at a committee meeting in the Florida House of Representatives, lawmakers are told they would not even be able to ask him questions. This is is nine months after his last public appearance. Democratic State Representative Carlos Smith from the Orlando area was completely outraged at this.
1: I understand that we have an agenda to get to, but after over 25,000 Floridians have died from COVID, I I don't really understand what's more important than our ability to ask questions of our state Surgeon General. I think that I might be speaking for, I don't know, Democratic and Republican members of this committee who worked hard to be the voice for their communities, and I think that we deserve an opportunity to ask the Surgeon General simple questions about public health while he's here. It just contributes to the perception that this process is a sham if we cannot be able to ask legitimate questions to the top public health officer in this state.
0: In August of 2021, Rifky's would resign. This time, Desantis turns to Dr. Joseph Ladapo to head the health department. The new Surgeon General Ladapo was known at the time for promoting controversial and unproven treatments for COVID-19 and casting doubt about the safety of vaccines for COVID-19. In fact, Ladapo refuses to disclose if he's been vaccinated or not. Both he and Governor DeSantis publicly reject any mask mandates, business restrictions, and other measures that were being recommended by the CDC at the time.
6: Although the department does promote COVID-19 vaccines under Ladapo's leadership, it's really faded to the background when it comes to public health messaging.
0: Shortly after he comes on board, Ladapo backs an executive order banning local school districts from implementing mask mandates, an issue we tackled in a previous episode of Tallahassee Takeover.
1: At the end of the day, uh, these health protocols are based in evidence, but we have no need for any theater in Florida. And so if you're force masking employees just for the appearance of safety, that is not a sufficient justification and you're not doing best uh, by your employees. The
0: The governor's office releases a video that says buck the CDC, which sounds exactly like what you think it sounds like. And with Dr. Latipo at the helm as a state Surgeon General, Florida's Department of Health becomes almost like an extension of the governor's office. The governor and Surgeon General Latipo have continued doing press conferences together in a complete reversal from how things were under Dr. Rivkes, who was largely hidden from the public.
1: And I, I think that'll be helpful for a lot of parents, you know, as they as they look at this, because I think there's a, certainly from mass media and stuff and saying that somehow that this is something that you absolutely need to do. So final thought before yeah, I wrap actually, it up, I think you you were uh, you actually provided my the introduction to our announcement, which is the Florida
0: Department of Health is going to uh, be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children.
6: This is counter to the recommendations coming from federal health agencies, the American Academy of Pediatrics and other such groups. And remember, there are no local health departments at this point. All the county health departments are run by state officials. So the governor and the surgeon general are setting policy at the top and state officials have to fall in line or else. This is from WFTV channel nine in Orlando.
3: One of the lead voices in the fight
0: against COVID-19 in Orange County is on paid administrative leave this afternoon. In February of this year, the director of the Department of Health in Orange County, where Orlando is, wrote an email to his staff. He was upset that their own vaccination and booster rates were too low for public health officials. He called it pathetic and urged them to get vaccinated. In it, he wrote, quote, I have a hard time understanding how we can be in public health and not practice it. He added he had an analyst run vaccination data for employees. There are 568 active staff at the FDOH and only 77 had received a booster. Shortly after, Tallahassee put Pino on administrative leave. The state reinstated him
6: after about two months. A Department of Health spokesperson wrote in a statement that they disagreed with any pressure to get vaccinated. Florida even has a law against any COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Jeffrey Goldhagen looks at all of this and says, public health in Florida is in a serious crisis.
4: It would not be hyperbole to say that in fact, we have no Department of Health We have no public health system anymore in the state of Florida that is in any way competent enough to be able to fulfill their role and the expectation of the community's role uh, for the protection and advancement of individuals' health. Uh, The role of the Surgeon General has now become the role of a political pawn uh, to reflect the political exigencies of the governor and of the executive branch. One of the basic principles of public health is that all public health uh, is local. Unfortunately, uh, in this administration, the ability of county health departments to work in the best interests of their community has been truncated and has been eliminated.